Welcome to the Bible Truth Podcast with Ron and Tim Reynolds, pastors and Bible teachers. Pastor Ron and Pastor Tim combined for more than 70 years of teaching and preaching God's Word. Listen now as they share the eternal truths of the Bible. Hello and welcome to Bible Truth for Living with Pastor Tim Reynolds. Thank you so much for listening today, whether you're listening on the radio on a Sunday morning, maybe you're joining us on the Bible Truth podcast. We sure appreciate you taking the time for uh, listening to another message from God's Word. I want to speak to you this morning, uh, if it's morning time when you're listening, whenever you are, uh, on the subject of God's timing. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, God does not move when we think he ought to, and uh, his timing certainly is not what ours would be many times. And uh, I want to share some thoughts with you regarding that. I want to start with the life of Abram. In Genesis chapter 12, you have what is referred to as the Abrahamic covenant. And the Bible says in Genesis 12 and verse 1, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So those first three verses I have a lot uh, of information regarding the Abrahamic covenant, but I'm not focusing on that in today's message. It's verse four. The scripture says, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him and Lot went with him. That would be his nephew Lot. And Abram was 70 and five years old when he departed out of Haran. So this covenant, this promise from God to Abram occurred when Abram was 75 years old. Now you go a couple of chapters to chapter 16. And verse 16, the Bible says, and Abram was fourscore and six years old. So now he is 86, 11 years have gone by when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. If you remember, uh, that promise had not come yet. And so Sarah convinced Abram, her husband, to uh, have a intimate relationship with her handmaid named Hagar. And he had a son through her named Ishmael, but that was not the promised seed that God had initially given in Genesis chapter 12. So he got ahead of God and uh, paid the price for that. And in fact, uh, there is still a struggle uh, today because of that decision. But then you get to chapter 17 and verse 1, the Bible says, and when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. So now we go from 75 to 86 to 99. And that promise still hasn't been fulfilled. And it's not until you get to chapter 21 and verse five, the Bible says, and Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And that was the beginning of that uh, covenant. Now, one of the many attributes of God that we as finite temporal creatures struggle with is the eternality of God. In other words, how do you identify with someone who has always been? He always was, always is, always will be. One may ask, how old is God? You know, does God have a long white beard? Well, the answer to that question is God is as young as he is old. 
There is no age. There is no time factor with God. Theologically, that term is called the omnitemporality of God. It's the all-timeliness of God. Isaiah 40 and verse 28 says, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. God does not grow tired. He does not grow old. God is also immutable. That's another theological term, and it means he is unchanging. Malachi 3 and verse 6, God says, I am the Lord, I change not. Now, time, by its very nature as we understand it, time produces change. You're older now than you were five minutes ago. You'll be five minutes older five minutes from now. I mean, it just produces change. It always always does. It's how time works. But what's interesting is that although God is outside of time, he is not constrained by time, so to say, he is very much interested in time, and he is involved with time when it comes to his relationship with man. We know from the days of creation, Genesis chapter 1, there are six days. Those were 24-hour days. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 1 says, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the sun. Jesus said in John 7 and verse 6, my time is not yet come. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2 says, now is the accepted time. Uh, Now is the day of salvation. Galatians 4 and verse 4 says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. And so God is interested in time and is involved with time, even though he is not bound by time. Now, what I read to you in the book of Genesis is a part of the life of Abram. Of course, he would then be Abraham. But God makes a promise when Abram is 75, 11 years go by, he's 86, and he's making a bigger mess out of his life. Uh, He has a child that was not the one that was supposed to be the promised seed. And then another 13 years go by, and God still says to him, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make this good. I'm going to fulfill this covenant. And it wasn't until he was 100 years old until he finally had that blessing that God had initiated 25 years ago. Now, God specializes in promising and performing when to us it seems too late for things to work out. You might think, well, my marriage is just too far gone for reconciliation. It may be that that's where God wants you to be before he begins to work in your life and intervene in that marriage. You may think, well, my child is too rebellious to turn around. Well, we don't see things from God's perspective. There may be a time coming for that. Maybe yours is a financial crisis and you think things are too desperate. But God specializes in stepping in right on time. Even in a matter of health uh, situations, he does that. Uh, remember the timing of God. God does not operate on our time. And uh, <laughs> I think of the uh, the baseball player, Yogi Berra. You know, Yogi was known for his sayings that were often uh, a little bit interesting, sometimes confusing. But Yogi Berra said, it ain't over till it's over. And I want you to know that today. If you're struggling in some area, maybe you're frustrated in your life and you wonder, is it over? Does God care? Will God step in here? I want you to know that it ain't over till it's over. And there are three things I want us to see regarding the timing of God in this message today. Number one, we see the appearance of God 
in chapter 17 and verse 1. Let me read that again. And when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. Now, the word Lord there in in that verse is all capitals, L-O-R-D. That means Jehovah, the eternal and the self-existent one. It says he appeared to Abram. Now, in the Old Testament, and especially in the book of Genesis, you have the pre-incarnate or pre-flesh appearance of God. It is called a theophanies. It's an appearance of God. In chapter 18 and verse 1, it says, The Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre. God interacted with man in this way. I personally believe that is the pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we're going to be celebrating the birth of Christ here soon. And that's when he came in a manger. But he is timeless. Jesus Christ, being God, uh, appears in the Old Testament several times in his pre-incarnate, pre-flesh form. And uh, it's called a theophanies. God interacted this way, and uh, less frequently with the prophets, although he did that occasionally as well. But sometimes people think, well, if I was to see God for real in the flesh, I would believe him today. But I want you to know, beloved, that God does appear to us today, and he speaks directly to us today, and he does this mainly through two methods. One is through his word. Did you know that the Bible, the word of God, is actually greater than if you were to hear the very voice of God? I can prove that to you from the book of 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. You say, well, if I heard God's voice, that would uh, convince me. Well, you have God's voice in his word that, it is, that is even better than a verbal voice you would hear. Here's what, here's what the apostle Peter writes. He says, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables, you know, made up stories, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So Peter is saying him and he and the other disciples, they were eyewitnesses of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, saw the miracles, saw people raised from the grave, heard the parables, even saw the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. For he, Jesus, received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, referring to heaven. And here was the voice that Peter says he heard. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, there were two places in the Gospels where that was said. First of all, at the baptism of Jesus, the second time would have been on the Mount of Transfiguration. If you remember, Peter, James, and John were present for that, and they saw Jesus, his raiment, his body begin to shine white, and then Moses and Elijah appeared. That's what Peter's referring to here. Now listen to this. He says in verse 18, and this voice which came from heaven we heard. So he was an eyewitness account. He was an earwitness account. He heard this when we were with him in the Holy Mount, referring to that Mount of Transfiguration experience. But then he says in verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, more sure than an eyewitness account, more sure than an earwitness account. What is that? Well, he's referring to the scriptures. He says, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. That means that myself as a preacher, although I read and study God's word, I have no more spiritual insight than anyone else has. You can do the same thing, read and study uh, the word of God. 
For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. You know, the authors of the Bible didn't just decide, well, I think I'll write today. I'll write something. Not by their will, but holy men of God spake as they were moved. They were inspired. God breathed by the Holy Ghost. The Bible is the most precious book in the world because it is God's uh, breathed word. And what Peter is saying, he is saying, I was an eyewitness account. I was an ear witness account, and yet we have something even better than that, and that is the written word of God that was inspired, God breathed by holy men as they were moved by God himself. So God speaks to us through his word. When you read the word of God, when you study the word of God, when you hear it preached and taught, you are hearing the words of God, and that's how God speaks to us. And then I believe God also speaks to us through his spirit. In the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 16, the Bible says, the spirit beareth itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The spirit, the Holy Spirit of God bears witness with our human spirit. Now, how does God do that? God does that in a number of ways. You know, I've never heard the audible voice of God, but I know that I've had God's spirit bearing witness with my spirit. Sometimes that's through prayer. You'll be praying and you just sense the presence of God in your prayer. Uh, Maybe you hear someone give a testimony in church and it just touches your heart. That's not emotions. That is the spirit of God bearing witness with your spirit. Maybe you hear a song and it makes you want to shout or makes you want to cry. You hear a sermon and it speaks down deep into your soul. What is that? Is that just emotion? No, that's the spirit of God bearing witness with your spirit. And it's a proof positive that you're saved when that occurs. Now, here's the thing. We hear from God through his word and through his spirit, but a lot of times we're not getting still enough to really heed what God is trying to tell us. We get busy trying to fix the problem. We want to figure out the issue. We want to complain about it instead of getting still and listening and hearing what God is trying to tell us. You have an example of that on the Exodus. In Exodus chapter 14, the children of Israel, are uh, they've exited Egypt, but now Pharaoh and his uh, soldiers are chasing them down. And now they're going to start complaining about the fact that Moses has led them out of Egypt. And the Bible says in Exodus 14 and verse 10, and when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes. They're, they're seen with the physical eye, not the eye of faith here. And behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore, or why, hast thou dwelt, uh, dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. Here they had been in bondage for over 400 years, and now they're complaining that Moses has delivered them, and they are saying, we would have been better off to stay in Egypt. But here's what Moses says. Listen to verse 13. And Moses said unto the people, fear ye not, quit being afraid, quit fearing, stand still. You're spending too much time fretting and worrying and complaining and griping. Just stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians who you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. He is saying, quit complaining, quit trying to figure it out. 
just stand still. And that's when you'll see the salvation of the Lord. I want to tell you, maybe you're trying too hard to fix a situation that you are seeing as hopeless, and maybe God is wanting you to get still. Quit trying to figure it out. Quit complaining. Quit uh, trying to fix the issue. Just get still and listen for that still, small voice of God. The next thing that we see in Genesis 17 is the all-sufficiency of God. Back in chapter 17 and verse 1, Again, the Bible tells us that Abram was uh, 99 years old, and the Lord appeared to him and said to him, I am the Almighty God. The I am there, that's another word for Yahweh, Jehovah, God. I am the Almighty God. Now, the word Almighty in Hebrew is pronounced El Shaddai, El Shaddai. The uh, prefix El, E-L, means Elohim. That refers to God as creator and provider. Shaddai means God as the nourisher, sustainer, and the strength giver. El Shaddai, the Almighty. Psalm 91 and verse 1 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, why would God announce himself to Abram in this way? I am the Almighty God. This is the first time you find the word Almighty in the scripture, and God refers to himself as Almighty. And I think this is the answer. Because Abram is now 99 years old. He is worn out. He has messed his life up trying to do things his way. He's been obedient and then disobedient. He's followed God and then he's drifted from God. And he's at a point now in his life where he has no more strength to fix what is broken. And this is exactly where God wanted Abram. He wanted him to the place where he realized, I I can't figure this thing out anymore. I don't know how you're going to fulfill this promise, God. And that's right where God wanted him. And in fact, that's where God wants you and I. You know, God wants us at a point where we we get to the point where we have no more answers. God, I don't know the answer to this. I don't know how to solve this financial problem. I don't know how to straighten my child out. I don't know how to fix my marriage. I don't know how to get well physically. God, if you don't intervene, it's all going to fall apart. And that's when the Almighty God steps in. You see, (laughs) Abram was waiting on God, and God was waiting on Abram. God wanted Abram to wait. You say, well, why didn't God fulfill that promise when he first gave it at 75 years old? Well, because Abram hadn't learned to wait on God. Sometimes God wants us to get still, get patient, and just wait on him. Listen to what Isaiah 40 and verse 31 says, but they that wait upon the Lord. I don't know about you. I don't like to wait, you know, to wait on certain things to happen. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. It's sort of like a a battery. If you ever had rechargeable batteries, you put them in the device and you don't just take them right back out. You have to put them in there and leave them so they charge back up. Sometimes when we are waiting on God, it's a time to renew our strength, to get the batteries charged. And then it finishes up, then they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You're saying, God, what are you waiting on? And God is saying, I'm waiting on you to learn to wait. Evangelist G. Campbell Morgan said, waiting on God is not laziness. It's not about going to sleep or abandoning effort. Waiting on God is activity under command. It is readiness for command. It is the ability to do nothing until the command is given. That's what waiting on God is. I remember whenever 
I was in the military. One of the terms you, you learn early on is hurry up and wait. What that means is you get your gear ready, have your bag packed, be on the truck and be ready to move out. But you may not leave for an hour. It may be two hours. And then suddenly the command comes and boom, you're ready to go. It's hurry up and wait. Sometimes it's like that in in our walk with the Lord. We keep praying. We keep going to church. We keep giving. We keep serving. We keep reading our Bibles because that's preparation time. Because then there's going to be a time when God moves. Someone has also said this, waiting is submitting to the sovereignty of God. Knowing that God knows best, he knows the right time, he does things right on time. We think he's late, but God does things right on time. And then the third thing I want us to see here is the authority of God. Back to our text in Genesis 17 and verse 1, he says, I am the almighty God. And then verse 1 finishes like this, walk before me and be thou perfect. Now, walk before me means I want you to to uh, pattern your life to where you're obeying me. And then he says, be thou perfect. Now, when you see that, we think of the word perfect as sinless. We think that's talking about behavior. Start behaving right and act like a perfect person. But God is not addressing Abram's behavior. We know that because three chapters later, Abram is caught in a lie again. It's not Abram's behavior that God is focused on here. God is talking about his belief. You know, we are made perfect. We receive the righteousness of Christ, not through our works and behavior, but through our faith in God. God is telling Abram, believe me, trust me, follow me, and I will give you the righteousness that you need. Now, Paul tells us that's what Abram did, and that's why Abram was considered righteous, not because of his behavior, but because of his belief. Romans chapter 4, and listen to verses 2 and 3. For if Abraham were justified, that means made righteous, by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. If Abraham was able to come to God because he was such a good person and upright and had such moral behavior, then Abraham could pat, pat himself on the back. But Abraham did not. He lied at least twice that we know of. He fled to Egypt without trusting God. So he wasn't justified by his behavior. It was his belief. Listen to verse three. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God. And it, his belief, was counted unto him for righteousness. It wasn't his behavior that brought about his righteousness. It was his belief. He believed in God. He believed that God would do what God said he would do. What is it that God desires more than anything? What would you get the creator of the universe? You know, here it is near Christmas time and sometimes you uh, are to buy a gift for someone and you think, man, they have everything. What would I what would I get them? You know, uh, what what would it be that I could buy for them? They have everything that, that they could want. What do you get for God? What is it that God wants? I think there is one thing above all that God desires. You know what it is? God desires to be believed. That's all. That's it. That's what he wants. If you were to give God anything, he wants to be believed. Now, the reason I believe that is from the book of Hebrews chapter, chapter 11 and verse 6. Because the Bible says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. Not just uh, difficult, but impossible. You cannot please God without faith. 
Here's why, the rest of the verse. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Now, that is for the unbeliever. If you want to be saved, the first thing you must do is that is that you must believe that he is, all right? You think, well, I have to clean my act up. I have to go to church. I need to do this. No, you must believe in him. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on him and you shall be saved, all right? So that's for the believer. And then the rest of verse six says, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That is sustaining faith for the Christian. He rewards those who stay faithful and they diligently seek him. That means you are seeking God in the midst of your problem. You have a problem child, you're seeking God. You're having some financial issues, you're seeking God. You're having marital issues, you're seeking God. You're you're struggling with your physical health, you're seeking God. And it is that, believing that God is there and, and that you trust him through it all, Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's what God is looking for. God wants to be believed. You think, boy, well, things are too far gone. My child's too far gone. My marriage, my finances, God can't fix it. Well, just about the time you think that's the case, God shows up. There was a young man named Franklin who was a rebel as a teenager. Um, He didn't want to obey his parents. He wanted to do his own thing, barely got through high school, Uh, He would come home even as a young adult, drunk and stoned, and mom would be there waiting, crying, and dad was usually gone. And in fact, dad was a world-renowned preacher, holding revivals all around the nation while he had a son at home who was a rebel and wanted to do his own thing. But at 22 years old, Franklin, uh, (laughs) God turned his life around. And that man is Franklin Graham, who we know as the president and CEO of Billy Graham Evangelistic Ministries, also the founder of one of the largest Christian relief organizations in the world, Samaritan's Purse. You think, well, Franklin Graham must have been that way as a teenager. No, he was a rebel. Even as a young man, he wanted to do his own thing. But there was a time that God said, now I'm going to use you. Now I'm going to call you. And the great Franklin Graham, as we know him today, that uh, is doing such a wonderful job for the Lord, God knew the right time to call him. So don't give up. Don't give up on that marriage. Don't give up on that child. Don't give up on that situation that looks like it's hopeless. God steps in when it's the right time. Thank you so much for listening. I pray the message is a help to you and an encouragement. I hope you can be in the house of the Lord somewhere today. I encourage you to do that. And I look forward to being with you again next week. Until then, this is Pastor Tim Reynolds saying, may God bless you is my prayer. You've been listening to the Bible Truth Podcast with your host pastors, Tim and Ron Reynolds. They can be contacted on the Mount Vernon Baptist Temple Facebook page, or you may send Pastor Tim an email to T-I-M-R-E-Y-1 at hotmail.com. Or if you prefer, mail correspondence to Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, Illinois, 62864. Again, that's Bible Truth Podcast, 817 Woodland Drive, Mount Vernon, Illinois 62864. Thank you for listening.